So good morning, everyone. Good morning, and welcome. So I'm uh, David Hempton, the uh, uh, Dean of the Harvard Divinity School, and it's my very great pleasure to welcome all of you to our event today entitled Rethinking Malaria, the Role of Faith and Community in Saving Lives. Um, so just first order of business, housekeeping, please silence all communication devices, um, if you would. And please note that this event is live streamed to the overflow room and the brown room um, and video recorded for later use uh, and posting on our website. Um, so um, be on your best behavior. Um, <laughs> it's wonderful to see so many of you who have crossed the Charles River, uh, which is not easy, and the Atlantic Ocean, which is probably a little easier. Um, uh, to convene with us today to think about malaria and the role of faith institutions in saving lives. I'm particularly delighted about this uh, collaboration between two Harvard schools, the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and the Harvard Divinity School. It seems like these days we hang out a lot together, really. We had uh, Atul Gawande who gave our um, Ingersoll Lecture and Convocation Address uh, just last month. And I know uh, Michelle Williams has other schemes ahead, so we're really delighted to be with you in this. We've also partnered with the J.C. Flowers Foundation, um, the Defeating Malaria from the Genes to the Globe Initiative at Harvard University, and the Center for the Study of World Religions here at HDS, to host the, uh, this delegation of our honored and most reverend guests, the four Anglican bishops and the archbishop who have traveled from Africa via Washington, D.C. and New York to be with us today. We are really delighted that you're with us. Thank you so much for um, uh, being with us uh, as part of your itinerary. Please see the short uh, biographies of these very distinguished and multi-talented uh, Anglican church leaders in your programs. There's a, a little piece in all of them. So we are really honored to have you with us. Also deeply grateful to Chris Flowers, who's with us today with his wife, Anne, um, uh, good friends of ours, um, uh, and thank you that um, you've included us in this significant event. Also honored to have with us uh, Dr. Kenneth Staley, um, who is the U.S. Global Malaria Coordinator and leads the U.S. President's Malaria Initiative, and you will hear from um, uh, uh, Dr. Staley a little later. Um, please also allow me to thank, a lot of thanks, um, uh, the two leading faculty members for this event, Dr. Diane Wirth, and Professor Jacob Alupana for being the moderators of our panel discussion today. Um, uh, Dr. Dan Worth is the Richard Pearson Strong Professor of Infectious Diseases, is an outstanding scholar, teacher, scientist, and medical doctor, and a member of the Chan School of Public Health, and the head of the Defeating Malaria from the Genes to the Globe Initiative, who has devoted her life and work to the eradication of malaria. She writes, of course we have more to uncover, but the primary goal, malaria elimination and eradication, is no longer beyond our reach. Indeed, it is both amazing and sobering to consider that the last mile of malaria elimination and eradication is already being realized in many countries. Our other moderator is my colleague and friend, Professor Jacob Alupana, a professor of African religious traditions here at HDS and who also holds a joint appointment with the Divinity School in the Faculty of Arts and Sciences. He is a very distinguished scholar, writer, and teacher of African religions and their social and cultural context in Africa and throughout the world. He has been a wonderful colleague to all of us here at the Divinity School, and we're delighted, Jacob, for your participation Thank today. You. Thank you. 
Our thanks go also to Carmen uh, Mejia, uh, Executive Director of the Defeating Malaria Initiative at the Chan School of Public Health. We're grateful to the staff at the Dean's Office at HDS um, and members of the J.C. Flowers Foundation who organized today's event with so much energy and dedication. A lot of people have put a great deal of effort and energy into this, so let's give them a round of applause, everyone who <laughs> made some yeah. So thank you, everyone. Here at the Divinity School, we know that faith leaders and their organizations have the ability to bring energy and resources to solving some of humanity's biggest problems. Today, we've assembled an extraordinary panel of speakers with experience doing exactly that in Sub-Saharan Africa. Two key strengths, I think, that faith organizations bring to these efforts that I want to specifically emphasize are their ability to organize their communities around health-related social needs um, and their ability to network or link people to much-needed resources. And I look forward to hearing more from our distinguished panel of Anglican bishops about how they're leveraging these strengths in their local communities uh, in Africa. Our colleagues in the medical and public health professions have a long history of partnering with faith leaders to seek their assistance in galvanizing communities from encouraging members to seek health care and completing health assessments to reducing health risks through preventive actions or treatments. In her book, Religion as a Social Determinant of Public Health, Ellen Idler, director of the Religion and Public Health Collaborative at Emory University states, quote, there are a few of any communities in the world where there is no religious institution at all. And in many communities, particularly the most vulnerable, religious institutions may be the most important, vital, and functional social institutions in the lives of community members. So as we begin today's program, I encourage uh, all of us to consider new ways and actionable steps, how we at Harvard and beyond, as a community of learners, doers, activists, scientists, uh, and world citizens, can foster an ongoing dialogue about the interconnections of faith and public health and of public health within faith. So to begin this effort, we will explore this topic through the lens of malaria prevention. And to begin today's discussion, it's my pleasure to ask um, uh, my good friend, Christopher Flowers, founder of the J.C. Flowers Foundation, an organization dedicated to malaria eradication in the hardest to reach our last mile of malaria eradication communities. I invite him now to share a few opening remarks. Please join me in welcoming Chris Flowers. Thank, thank you so much, um, uh, David, for those, th that kind of introduction. And, um, you know, as they say in Africa, I, I, there's a lot of people I should thank, and they have this quick line, it's protocols observed. I will say protocols observed, <laughs> except uh, in particular, I'd like to thank you, David. I have a feeling today's a busy day at Harvard, and tomorrow, this is the, there's the second most important event coming up tonight or tomorrow. <laughs> We're glad you guys are at the most important event, which is happening right here, um, right now. And also a special thank you uh, uh, to our Archbishop and to our bishops who have indeed come a very long way um, to, be, to be with us here today. So thank you very much. I am slightly uneasy speaking surrounded by a group of mighty preachers. So I am going to be short, and I'm sure you are happy about that, but I'm going to say a brief word about how it came to be that our foundation is here with you today. So, uh, uh, first of all, our foundation is a little bit unusual in that we spend our own money, 
and we run our programs ourselves. We're not asking people for money, and we're not giving money away. It's our money, and we run it ourselves. And our active programs have had a faith-based component. I grew up in Wayland, Massachusetts, not too far from here. Some of you may know this place. And I went to Wayland's Episcopal Church every single Sunday when I was growing up. And my wife, Anne, who was here, um, would like you to know, and I'd like you to know, too, that we met in church, St. James <laughs> Episcopal Church. There are people who think it's different than that, but that is the truth. <laughs> And now uh, we have uh, accumulated over the years many friends and connections in the Anglican Church in America, in Africa, around the world. The Anglican Church, and in particular the local Anglican churches in Africa, have been our key essential partners in this malaria enterprise from the beginning. And nothing would happen without them as partners. I first visited Zambia with Susan Lassen, the head of our foundation, in 2004, and I first met uh, the charismatic Archbishop Chama at that time. I already knew that malaria exacts an enormous burden in Africa, and also that at least in theory, uh, uh, malaria can be and indeed has been eliminated uh, using relatively low cost and well-known solutions. But we made a journey, a metaphorical but a real journey, uh, to uh, five hours in the Land Rover to a remote itsy bitsy village in Zambia, and kind of picking a little bit about what you said a moment ago, uh, David. Uh, um, first, to my astonishment, I realized, well, there are three things I'm gonna mention. I realized that people did not know, many people did not know how you get malaria. And today, much of our effort and money uh, goes into education, training, deployment, and this has to be done and led at the ground level, of course. Second, the very day we visited, we witnessed the burial of a child who had died of malaria that very day. And we have seen many instances since which put our hearts in the center of this endeavor. Third, the only organized institution in this village was the Anglican Church, led by a pastor, respected member of the community. So in 2004, we began, we began our program of distributing uh, anti-malaria nets and other interventions in partnership with our friends from the church, with whom you see here, and with many other partners and a large body of volunteers organized by the church. And I think together we've done some good. But, and of course you would expect me to say this, we are only something like halfway across this river. And in this river, you either get the whole way across or you drown. Malaria can be eradicated, as you know, and has been in many countries, but you either have to eradicate it um, but it, you can't just reduce it, because if you do, it will return and in fuller force. And this is due, of course, to increasing resistance by the malaria vector to treatment and to insecticides. And here we have science and faith standing shoulder to shoulder in the anti-malaria enterprise. The world has achieved a tremendous reduction in malaria incidence uh, in, in the last 15 years, but unfortunately from here it's either we go all the way down and out or we go right back up. And so winning this will take even yet again more resources than are at this table so far. We at our foundation are eager to do our small part in this. And as you will hear, um, our Anglican colleagues on the front lines are completely committed to this as well. But looking at the cause overall, even with the tremendous support of the Partners Malaria Initiative 
the Gates Foundation, the Global Fund, and many other mighty and glorious supporters. We don't have enough resources yet to know we're going to get there. I would like to conclude with, with this remark. Um, Ann and I are thanked all the time, and I'm sure we will be thanked today for our part in this. But on the contrary, it has been one of our lives' greatest privileges to be associated with you all. We thank you. We thank you especially, Archbishop Chama, Bishop Andre, Bishop David, Bishop Luke. We thank our visitors from the front lines, our visitors who see Jesus Christ in every person, in every village where malaria extracts its toll. Thanks. Well, hi, folks. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks very much, uh, JC, and um, and thanks to all of you for the hospitality today. Uh, my name is Ken Staley, and uh, I'm the head of the President's Malaria Initiative. I'll just give you a, a few brief remarks um, about malaria and about where we've come and, and where we hope to go, and a little bit about the President's Malaria Initiative and why I'm here. And then I'll let the, the, the folks who are doing the hard work on the ground actually take center stage. So as, as, as has been alluded to, malaria is the disease that's killed the most people in human history. And in 1955, the World Health Organization had its first mission, and that was to eradicate malaria. They succeeded in some places, but there was an open question in the year 2000, can we even control malaria in Africa? And that question's been answered. It, we can control malaria, and we've actually become much more ambitious. We've said we want to eradicate malaria. So the President's Malaria Initiative is a bipartisan initiative that started under President Bush, continued under President Obama, and then has increased under President Trump. We're in 27 countries around the world, most of them the most malarious in the world. And we use a series of proven interventions to try to get to scale in each country to reduce morbidity and mortality. And along with our partners, we've saved about 7 million lives since the year 2000, which is absolutely incredible. Now we're at a point where we're trying to think really about a moonshot, eliminating malaria from the world. And the reason I'm here today is because the faith community plays a big role in what we do in each one of these countries. So from the Democratic Republic of Congo, where 70% of the treatment that's provided is actually provided through faith-based uh, faith care, to the Nigerian interfaith dialogues that have actually been remarkably successful in spreading information and helping people to know how to seek treatment to the cross-border initiative that you'll hear about here, um, religious leaders and communities of faith, um, and it's been said already, but really are integral to being able to connect individually with each person in each village, in each city, to really understand how they can protect themselves from malaria, and also how they, as a member of their community, can take responsibility and help protect others. So uh, I'll stop there, but just, just one last message, I suppose. The other reason I'm here is because we've, we have a long history at PMI of working with faith-based uh, faith organizations. But as we think about the fight, uh, the fight ahead, we want to redouble our efforts and find new ways of working with faith-based organizations, both informally 
but more formally as well. And so we're working to actually find ways to decrease the barriers to funding religious organizations in country that we think are some of the most effective change agents in the world. So uh, again, I'll thank, uh, I'll thank our, our hosts and uh, uh, let us get on with this uh, great conversation. Thanks. Well, I'm uh, Diane Worth, and thanks uh, to um, Divinity School for hosting this and for the remarks. Um, I really am here uh, as the uh, as as one of the malaria experts, and in my role as leading defeating malaria, um, the defeating malaria initiative at Harvard, and and I think this is really an example of this vision that to solve this problem we need many different disciplines, many different groups, and, and, and groups with deep expertise in certain areas <coughs> collaborating to, to, one, uh, to solve one problem, that is getting rid of malaria, creating a malaria-free world. As, as Ken said, we just indicated, we've made great progress, but malaria remains a major disease with 250 million cases a year, and a half a million deaths, primarily in children under Africa, as we speak today. And so this remains a major problem, and one that we, we are really looking forward to this discussion, because whether it's developing the newest tool that will be used to implement <coughs> what we have now at the community level, all of these pieces must work. And the discussion today really brings us together with those in the faith community leading the frontline efforts, and we look forward to hearing about this. So I will turn over the panel to um, my co-moderator, Jacob, and we will now have a discussion, um, a, a big mentor to begin with, and then we'll have questions from the audience. So, Thank you. Um, permit me to begin with a couple of observations. Uh, Dean Hampton, my Lord Bishops, Professor Diana Wyth, and the Flowers Foundation, uh, let me greet you and welcome you to our school. I thank uh, Dean Hampton for inviting me to be part of this uh, conversation. I welcome it as a professor here and also as a true Anglican. Uh, I do see the faith-based initiatives that we are witnessing today as a kind of an urgent intervention in ending a serious health problem on the continent. And those of you who are familiar with the history of colonialism in Africa may remember how in those history books we read in the 60s and 70s, we were told that one of the reasons why the colonialists had to leave the continent was that malaria gave them hell. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is that malaria has turned out to be the African problem today. It's not the European or white man's thing, as we used to say. 
And so um, it's important that we welcome this type of initiatives, but we also recognize the role that a school of divinity can play in facilitating this conversation. So I thank the Flowers Foundation for providing it. On a personal note, I want to uh, recall what happened in the 60s when I was still is a teenager, and how the chief medical officer, a white man, came to my father and asked him to please help in sensitizing the uh, women of the church to the issues of breastfeeding. It turned out at that time that they were being discouraged from breastfeeding. Those who were selling the formulas were all over the place. And so I think my father preached a very difficult sermon where women should take breastfeeding seriously. I wish I remember the text he used. <laughs> uh, I would have loved to share with my Lord Bishop. Uh, but what is important about it is that we are dealing with a major issue and the church has a role to play in that. I like the reference to interfaith dialogue that you are one of uh, the uh, members of the panel also mentioned. Uh, my position in this has always been that interfaith dialogue should not be about doctrinal matters or showing, uh, telling us uh, who is the greater uh, Muhammad or Jesus, but joining hands to deal with African issues, issues of governance, issues of health, economic uh, uh, crisis that we all face with. And so uh, I'm very pleased to uh, welcome my Lord Bishops. And I'll begin uh, with a very simple uh, question that we would like all of you to think about what has been your role in this project. What has been your, uh, your, your contribution and what are your perspectives on how this issue of malaria crisis is uh, dealt with in your different dioceses and the kinds of interventions, these are critical interventions that you have succeeded uh, in making. I think we'll start uh, from, from that thing. Thank you. Thank you, Professor, and uh, thank you to all of you who are gathered here this morning. As it has been alluded to, malaria, even despite the progress that was made, can still remain um, a major killer of children under five in, uh, in Zambia. And um, despite that, we've continued with the, with the fight. And uh, we have given ourselves a goal that by 2021, 20, we should eliminate malaria in Zambia. It's, it's been overzealous, but at least we have a goal to look to, and we are geared to, to fight the malaria. And as a church, we are part of that uh, goal. And what we have done so far is to mobilize uh, some of our churches, particularly those which are found in the high burden areas of malaria. Mainly, we have trained the mothers, we have trained the fathers who are interested to do this on how, on what malaria is, simple, basic uh, information about malaria. And it's them who are carrying that message to the entire communities. 
And most of the communities now are fired up and they are teaching each other how to protect themselves. And we, we are using the tools that have been made available to us by the scientists. So the scientists have produced the tools and we are carrying out the job. We are the food soldiers. And among the tools that we are using, of course, are the nets, um, which is a major tool. We are also using the IRS, which is the uh, indoor residual uh, spraying. There is also now uh, the use of the RDTs. Uh, this is a small injection, and you get a bit of blood, and you put it on a small tool, and it shows you. It doesn't show you the malaria, but it shows whether your body is fighting something within, within you. And also, uh, the medicine, the ACT or coatum, as we know, it has become available at the grassroots level, meaning that once somebody has been tested and they are found positive, they are able to be treated there and there in the community at the grassroots level itself. And there's also been a political will now from, from the government that uh, they increase their budget towards uh, the fighting of uh, malaria. And we are seeing the change of names of some of the departments. For instance, the National Malaria Control Program now is National Malaria Elimination Program because all the effort is towards eliminating. And the goodness is that the program now have realized the role that we as the faith leaders and our communities are able to play and we are being incorporated in their programs. And we as the Anglican Church, we are the lead in Zambia on the issues of malaria. And that has given us a motivation to train other uh, faith leaders to be part and parcel of the fight. Um, three weeks ago, just before we came here, we retrained our clergy, uh, the priests, they were all invited, and the experts from the malaria control, malaria elimination program came, and they are the ones who retrained the priests. And just a week uh, after doing that, in one of our congregations, after the service, everybody was tested, and there were about 78 people in that congregation, and the three of them were found to be positive. Now, three might appear to be a small group, I mean a small number, but if they are not treated, mm -hmm. that number is able to grow and infect others. So. That is what we, we are doing briefly, and I'll let my brothers also to have an opportunity. Thank you, if I may, my neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you very much for your question, um, Professor, moderator. In answering it in terms of what our perspective is, what our intervention in the Diocese of Namibia has been, I want to respond by emphasizing the importance of partnership that we have heard with others. In other words, we did not do it alone and we we'll, can never do it alone and will never do it alone and so should other partners. 
how have we done it? In 2002, um, the Global Fund was initiated, created, and the United States of America was one of the largest contributor to that Global Fund, and many other countries subsequently followed, joined in, in the, in, in, in the Global Fund. And to this day, um, the United States of America is still the largest contributor to that fund. And I'm saying this because the, in, in the, the, there will be preparations in 2019 for the replenishment of the Global Fund for the cycle of 2020 to 2023. And if the United States of America continues to be the largest contributor, that may um, help other countries um, to propel other countries to give even more, and therefore making the contribution globally uh, to eliminate malaria much more effective. Coming to uh, my country and my diocese, we are in partnership with the Council of Churches in Angola, partnership with the Anglican Diocese of Namibia, partnership with the uh, J.C. Flowers Foundation, and uh, three other organizations, which will include, of course, the Ministry of Health and Social Services in Namibia, which is the recipient of the funding from, from Global Fund. And through those efforts, that partnership in the north of uh, Namibia and the south of Angola, we have managed to train you know, uh, volunteers, over 600 volunteers who are in the communities, very rural, inaccessible communities who are in touch with those communities. And as my colleague has already pointed out, we also trained clergy who are resident with, with those communities and in those, in those areas who are able to provide you know, healthcare assistance and service when it is, it is necessary. And we, as a result of that partnership efforts, been able, you know, in, in our areas, Angola, South Angola and Namibia, to have, you know, people tested, a number found positive, especially from Angola, and, um, Namibia with less, because the Namibian population is, of course, less than uh, the population in Angola. So if you see statistics um, on internet showing that there have been few cases from Namibia, it is because of the size of the population of Namibia, which is entirely <laughs> less than three million. But we are doing very effective work. 
we are in, in, in the elimination of malaria, and I can you know, confidently say that we are in Namibia and South Angola close to you know, um, eliminate malaria. And therefore, the partnership, the funding support that we have been received cannot stop now. Otherwise, all the gains, positive gains that we have heard in the past may possibly be reversed. So if there's for me any rethinking that we need to do, it is rethinking about funding uh, initiatives, it is rethinking of uh, partnership initiatives. I would like to stop the moderator for now. Thank you. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, firstly, I like to express my gratitude for the people of United States of America, for your love, for your compassionate, and for your generosity. We are here because someone put the resources to invite us to come. So it means that the family of GC Flower Foundation is very keen to help African people to eliminate malaria. And you know that Namibia and Zambia, they have already timetable to eliminate malaria, but contrary in my country, Angola, we still have a long time, a long journey until we achieve the goal. But it is important to say that Anglican Church started working in fatigue against malaria in 2005. You remember that we have faced civil war during 27 years. War have destroyed the country. And we come to the end in 2002. Only when the president went to Abuja and they committed themselves that to control malaria in Africa, especially in our countries. So we started also knowing that malaria is not their problems, it's our problems. We started to commit ourselves that we must to contribute to fight against malaria because all of us are victims about malaria. So, especially to say that in my country, the main uh, cause of death until now is malaria. And so, if we can eliminate malaria, uh, my population can become so abundantly, like Jesus said. <laughs> and why the church? We have had a wonderful relationship within the communities with the traditional leaders who also have been leading the communities. And the church not need to invite someone. Every day you have 
a privilege to be with the people in morning prayer, evening prayer on Sunday. So my government has called the church like the social partners because the church are very, very involved in education and health. And it is why we have this privilege to say that coming together to fight against malaria because all of us together, we can eliminate malaria. It is why we are here to, to share our experience. Like someone said, Socrates said that we can, I'm not teaching someone what we are doing just to say to one another to move because we have the truth in our mind. We are not doctors, but we are the leader in the communities and the community trust in us. It is why it is easy to say that we can together fight against malaria. It is our challenge and our <coughs> commitment. Thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, my Lord. Um, this is fascinating. Partnership is important. Church, uh, state relations is important. Uh, and obviously, we are seeing your impact, the diocese and the community. Uh, for the benefits of uh, our people here who are not too familiar with what we are going through uh, uh, on the continent, would you like to tell us a little bit about how malaria has impacted the lives of members of your community? Uh, I'm not talking about the fact that not going to church on Sundays, they will not be able to, they will not be able to pay their tithes and the collection. But I mean, I mean their lives, you know, as individuals and the community. If you can tell us a little bit about it, that'd be great. Yes, uh, we all of us living in the community. So living the community, we know where our problems. And we know what we can contribute for the benefits of our communities, our people, and ourselves. Just to say that uh, we have a good relationship because we are building every day the relationship with the communities people. It is why they are not impressment what we are doing. So people know the religious <coughs> leaders and the trust of them. In our context, during 27 years, in some area that we not have political authority of administration authority, but the church has been there. Suffering together with the community, in good time, being so very happy with the communities, in the bad time, crying for the community. This is our great privilege. Just to, to add to what the Bishop has said, malaria is not only a physical ailment. 
It is also a social economic uh, uh, problem. And uh, once people have got malaria, it means that even their work, I mean, they, they reduce their working hours uh, because they're not able to do what they're able to do if uh, they, they are well. School children are not able to go to school because they are warm, they are not feeling well. And uh, when death occurs in, the, in that community, it brings grief to, to that. So it, it does have an impact on the, on the community. And sometimes it does bring uh, witch hunting. Uh, what I mean here, when you are in those communities, uh, people believe that somebody, your uncle, didn't like you, and they sent you this thing at night when you were sleeping, and you wake up with a, with a fever. And once you start witch hunting, it destroys families as well. And it's also a financial burden on the family and also on the, on the country itself, because you require uh, medication in order to treat the, the malaria. So it has both the social and the economic impact uh, in the community. But you cannot overrule professor. They won't come on Sunday, and I won't have the time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I think for, for, for me, um, just to put a twist on your question, is that it is, um, you know, malaria kills. And because malaria has that effect in the communities, it has had the effect of bringing the community together because there is a common enemy that everyone faces. And that's the, that's the tragedy of what it has, it has done. People have become aware that this is my neighbor. And as Mr. Flowers said in his open um, remarks, this person gives me an, this person is an icon of who God is. In this person, I see Jesus. It has enabled people to respect each other, to form communities in ways that they have not done before. I don't know whether this is a good thing or not, but it is, it, 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 it is one of the outcomes um, that it, it has done. And so the fight against um, uh, malaria has therefore mobilized communities, created more respect for, for each other. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, maybe just one more question and then we will uh, throw it open. It has to do with the reference to uh, traditional healings <coughs> and traditional medicine and the fear that members of the church often you know, have, mm -hmm. as we just, uh, we've just had. What has been the response of the church to this? particularly as it relates to the problem we're trying to deal with. And coupled with that would be, on the other side, uh, faith healing that has become very central and important uh, now in this uh, age of evangelical, Pentecostal, charismatic churches. Uh, so how have you been able to deal with it, uh, particularly uh, given the huge assignment that you, you have? 
Thank you. Um, to start with, um, we are talking about remote areas where the health facilities do not exist. The first option people would go to is a traditional healer. Now, with ourselves, we don't go there and condemn the traditional healer because as soon as you do that, it means you create a gap between yourselves and the traditional healers. So the best we do is to go in with a teaching to try and win them over by teaching what is malaria, a simple, basic knowledge. Once the people know what malaria is, how one gets malaria, then when they have the symptoms, <clears throat> excuse me, they won't rush to the traditional healer. Instead, they'll go to the community health worker because they understand <clears throat> what malaria is. Sorry. As regards the, the faith healing, again, you teach the people that we are not against faith healing. You pray, then God has given wisdom to, to these people here <laughs> and the knowledge to come up with that medicine that we are using. So that medicine has not just come anyhow. As far as we are the faith um, community, we believe that God has used them. So we are partnering them with us in order to heal somebody. And what we usually do, what I usually do, even during the time of uh, HIV and AIDS, each time would go out. I'll be the first one to be tested so that people know that I believe in what I'm saying. Whenever we go out, even in the communities, uh, as we are teaching people about um, malaria, I'm the first one to be tested. And the second one, we make sure it has to be the Induna or the, the head of that particular village. Then it is led to the, to the others. So at the end of that, I always offer a prayer and a blessing to all of them. So we are saying the conventional medicine and the prayer, they are going together to heal somebody. That's the, the, the way we, we have approached it. We, we don't go there to, to fight, because mm -hmm. if we fight, it will be a lose-lose situation. Mm -hmm. well, thank you very much. Uh, in uh, in uh, my context, we have so many, many people involved in traditional treatments. This is the problem. And we said that when we have not knowledge, we can be lost. This is the problems. But our experience is that when we train people <coughs> to know well what this malaria means, when the people are trained, they come to the health centers, to the hospitals, and then they agree to find doctors and nurses and being tested to see that how malaria can be treated. This is, the, this is the, the effect we have had. Many people come out to the hospitals and 
many of them has been treated and they become so uh, wonderful peoples with the health. So we must to, to learn more to understand what is the medicine means for our lives and what is the traditional treatment means. So in our job we have been done in fighting against malaria, many of these people has now new graduates and new uh, attitudes how care their children. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, um, the traditional leaders have always been a resource to the community. You know, um, the closest available um, resource for, for healing. And out of desperation, I mean, desperation indeed, communities have always resorted. But I think one of the um, you know, processes that the, the, the elimination of malaria has done in communities is to help traditional leaders to understand that this is not about competition, this is not about making money, uh, this, is, this, is, this is not business. This is about saving the lives of communities. And some traditional healers have come to, to, to understand that as well. Uh, thank you very much. Um, we do have time for a few questions. Uh, kindly uh, raise your hands and be very brief. Uh, I would suggest that we take a couple of questions, mm -hmm. maybe about four or five and give uh, the bishop the chance to respond uh, to them. Um, yes, please. Oh, oh, sorry, we need a microphone. Yeah. Can we? Thank you, my lords, and uh, good morning. I'm happy to see you. I appreciate the work you do. I come from Kenya and I know the role of faith-based organizations in the lives of communities, so thank you for what you do. Um, in my country, we say mothers are the first healthcare providers. They are the people who notice a fever or a cold at home. And I just wanted you to speak about uh, how are you roping women if they are the first healthcare providers at home into uh, fighting malaria. And especially given that, for me, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a professor of uh, religion and gender, and I'm very much concerned about women leadership. And when I see, um, when I look at Africa, the leadership is still predominantly men, yet women are the people who really are at stake here when we think about healthcare. How, how are you working together with women to make sure that uh, we are able to eradicate malaria in Africa. My second um, comment has to do with what Professor Lupona has said about interfaith partnerships. Every time various uh, faith-based organizations have come together you know, to fight HIV and AIDS or for peace building, we see better results. And I want to see, I, I would like you to comment on what, what kind of partnerships are you building with Muslim organizations, with, with Pentecostal churches and charismatic churches and evangelical churches in Africa to come together 
to kill this animal. Um, it's because people are, uh, are stronger together when they work uh, uh, in that direction. Thank you. Thank you. Another question then, and I'll move this way. Maybe in the in the back corner. Yep. Thank you. Um, I'm Gloria Whiteham, and I'm both a pastor and a physician. So I'm particularly encouraged by this conversation. I had thought of the angle: healthy congregants means a healthier time. I like that. <laughs> um, I. Uh, I'm so encouraged again by this conversation. And, and I have a, a question that's comparable to the sisters here. To what extent were churches involved in the fight against AIDS, as you know, epidemic in the, the late 70s and 80s? Um, and what did you learn from that engagement? And how does that inform your engagement um, now? Because even though AIDS is, is, the numbers are down, it's an ongoing struggle. Thank you. Okay, um, sure, let me come to the side. Yes, please. Mm -hmm. uh, hi, my name is Lola Fagwami. I'm a PhD student here at Harvard. And uh, my question is, you had mentioned how one of the tools that had brought down the uh, burden of malaria in Africa was the availability of co-artem and other uh, artem medicine-based therapies. I, uh, my question is, how is that controlled on the local level? What is, uh, how do people have access to it? Is it just available anywhere? Uh, because as you know, one of the problems is increased in resistance. And if people are misusing, uh, misusing the medicines that uh, rather adds to our burden. So how is the control of the drugs on the local level? Okay, I'll take one more question, and any questions? Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, thanks, uh, my name is John Ganley. Um So it looks like the conversation seemed to focus a lot on remote areas and rural areas and all of that, which is largely fine. But in, in a place like Ghana, we've noticed a shift in the epidemiology to urban centers because the infrastructure is just not good enough to kind of like, you know, um, get rid of the, the mosquitoes. So they actually become like pain ground. So in the last two, three years, we've seen real peaks in urban areas compared to rural areas. So my question is how much of what you're doing is also engaging with urban communities in, in your neighborhood, especially given that a lot of African cities are really kind of like experiencing rapid urbanization. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, let me turn to my Lord Bishops to respond to these questions. You, you don't have to answer all the questions. You, you just reflect on what you like to say. Yes, please, yeah, we'll start from you. Uh, the first question, how are the mothers involved? You'll be very happy that the majority of the community health workers are actually the mothers themselves. And uh, what we have noticed is that even their status has also improved. They are actually known as doctors uh, because that's where everybody else is running to. So the majority of them 
they are actually the mothers themselves. And they have proved to be more committed uh, to the work as uh, the caregivers. Um, we go to the another one. Uh, yes, that's fine. All right. Uh, to what extent was, I mean, interfaith participation? Uh, we learned a lot, and uh, I will combine this with the third one. We learned a lot, actually, from the HIV uh, uh, times. As you are aware that HIV had a lot of stigma attached to it, and the church was the late entry in it. But when the church entered in it, we went in it um, with everything, and we were able to partner with the other organizations, I mean, like the, the Muslims. In Zambia, we came up with an institution known as Zingo, and this was the, um, the Christians, the Muslims, and the Baha'i faith. Um, and that has continued even during the, the, the malaria period. As I said earlier on, we have been a lead in teaching others and training the leadership of other <coughs> faiths, because we believe that together we are able to achieve um, a lot. How is it uh, controlled? In Zambia, Coatam is regulated. It's not something that you just go and pick up. No, it is regulated. The community workers who have access to it, actually it is distributed to them through the health facility. So it's not them going to the market and buy it and go and administer it. There is a process. So the health facility is the custodian, and it's only given to the trained uh, community health uh, workers. Why we talk too much about the rural areas, there are so many players in the urban areas. There are so many organizations that are working within the, the urban areas. And most of them are not able to go to the remote areas that we are talking about. And that's why the emphasis for us, uh, actually we as the Anglican Church, we are both in urban and in uh, rural areas, but we put much emphasis on the rural areas where there are no any other players in those uh, areas. Thank you. Uh, I will start about HIV AIDS. You remember that church last time was so very active in how to train people, to teach people, and to fight against stigma and exclusion. Because two things were so very, very bad in that context. So now, we are finding difficulties. As we said, today we are talking about how to eliminate malaria. Uh, because uh, malaria still have partners who supporting this kind of activities. In HIV, no more. This is the first one but still have the problems in our country. And there are some small groups. So we can't say exactly that 
we left this problem to the government, Minister of Health. And we have within the church powerful group called Mother's Union. So in every activity which the church has been done, mothers are very involved. Remember that in the bad effects of malaria, who is the more victim is the mother. Sometimes has two or three children, all of them are infected. So to care them, it is very difficult. And to bring them to hospital, maybe living very far. So it is why mother is very important in all our actions. So they are very active in the church. And they help all this initiative which the church has been taking. Um, um, the, the, the misuse of drugs. Um, I'm not sure if you are talking about, I uh, can't even remember who the person asked, yeah. I don't know if you are referring to drugs being used for other purposes where in areas where drugs are given to a government or to a community and therefore community selling them. I, I'm not sure exactly what, 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 what you mean. But what I can point to is um, in our case, the nets which had used, you know, for fishing instead. Uh, I don't know if that's the kind of picture we, which you have. That, that for us um, really emphasizes the need of more teaching, more teaching on communities. In other words, more education on the, uh, what the good use of nets can actually do to a person, to a family, to, communi to, to communities. Um, um, the, 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 the control of, 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 of drugs has not been a, a, an issue. Where it probably becomes an issue is when a person does not complete the treatment and keeps the treatment for a recurrence mm -hmm. at another time. You know. Yeah, that again points to more education, to more training of communities. Thank you. Oh, Are there actually questions? Uh, okay. I would like to know the Question. what do the church and faith leader think about using evolution and gene drive as a tool to eradicate mosquito and malaria? Is that something you would support, or is that too much of playing God? Uh, I didn't hear that. Uh, please the, the question again. Well, the, I, can, I can maybe clarify the question. Oh. The, the question is, genetic engineering of mosquitoes is something we're talking about at the forefront of research. And so the question is, what, is, what are your feelings on that? So the idea is to modify the mosquito either so it can't transmit the disease or, in fact, to, to change the mosquito populations by sterilizing them. So it's really, you know, it's going to change the mosquito population in some way and then 
that's released throughout the country or the continent. And you would like to know the opinion of the church leaders on, on whether that will be accepted by the community, whether that is an issue in which faith has to be considered. That's an important moral question. Yes. <laughs> All right, let, let me add one more question to that. Yeah. And that has to do with the, what you said about powerful men, uh, powerful people in your church. And these are rich people. I'm a Nigerian. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, how, will it be, how shall we go about it? The time has come for us to begin to encourage these powerful, rich men and women to partner with foundations like Flowers to make things happen. Is this, is this something you would like to get into? How do you encourage them to stop spending this wealth on useless things to take care of their own people? either through partnership, if they don't trust their own people, what about foundations like Gate and Flowers? They can partner with them for the good of the community and the society. What's the church doing about it? And, and another one. I, uh, <laughs> I, I'm wondering, I know there are no, I know that the Anglican Church of Nigeria uh, doesn't ordain women. Do you have uh, women ordination in your churches, in your dioceses? What is the position of that? Uh, uh, because that is a very critical question to what you have said. Uh, you may not answer that, but I just want to. <laughs> <laughs> to you, my lord. There was still another hand. <laughs> you'd, you'd like to answer. You, you had another choice. Right. Um, <laughs> On the engineering part of it, we leave that to the scientists. <laughs> Let them come up with the, whatever they're coming up and we'll decide whether it's morally right or, or wrong. But as for now, what we're interested in is to make sure that we eliminate malaria. And we're talking about a rethinking here. And this is where the rethinking comes in. They do their part, we also do our part. Local support, I think that is something that we are real talking. Um, and uh, it's, it's a hard work uh, to try and get resources uh, from the, the parishioners themselves. But there are others. I don't want to do a blanket uh, cover here. There are few individuals would come and say, what do you think I can contribute to? Those are there. <coughs> but they are they're in, uh, in minority. And uh, in most cases, there are some who come with a specific area. In this area, what can I do? Uh, and of course, then we encourage them to, to do that. Right now, there's a project that we are doing uh, in the southern part to rehabilitate one of the hospitals. Mm -hmm. And some people have come and said, what do you want me to do? And the first request was, for us, it was a mochari, because there was no mochari there. 
Um, women would mention my archbishop is here. <laughs> uh, currently, in our province, we don't. It's something that has kept on coming in the provincial synod, even the one which uh, we had, was it uh, last year? Still more, it's not going through. But we are looking forward to the time when it will go through. Good. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Professor, yeah. as, as an African, you know that the African communities are largely very patriarchal. And, and, and therefore, the, 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 the recognition of the role of women is still something that is part of our process of, 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 of teaching and, and education. And education. Um, but for those of us who have made a shift already, because I'm one of the converts, African converts, um, the, 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 I do acknowledge the need for partnership and women should be one of those who are recognized as partners in the fight against AIDS and in leadership roles. Thank you. So it's hard to say that in Africa, there are so many rich men and women in Africa. But the problem is not having a lot of money. The problem is the heart. What kind of heart these people have been? This is the problem. We are talking here, my Flower Foundation family, but you can have also in the United States many flowers to can help people. But the problem is the heart. This is the problem. And in my country especially, you remember that we came from the war. If someone can be called the rich, the richest of these men, women, is not local. It became from corruption. This is another problem. It's not legal riches. You remember that sometime in heavy hair, one of the richest women in my country, in Africa, is the daughter of my president. And people have been asking, when these women became rich, what can't sometimes she replied the person and said that I started to my business of the selling eggs. And another said, what kind of eggs? Diamond eggs? <laughs> Oil eggs? This is the problem for us. We have many of them, but also the new president in my country He's taking many of them in the same party into the prison. Because he decided to fight against corruption. <laughs> corruption and nepotism. This is the problem. In my diocese, I have five priests, women priests. It's hard to respond that we have ordained women and the one deacon. 
a small number, but the problem is training problems. If someone can help um, the nurses to train more women, I will be so very happy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay. This is wonderful. Anne, would you like to make some remarks before we close? No, I think this is this has been very interesting. I want to thank the um, the bishops and my my co-moderator for I think a very interesting discussion. And I think this this really brings I think a, a great example of this notion that I think you said it best. You know, I'm an expert in the science, and you're an expert in community mobilization, and we should both. We both have the same goal. And I think it's, it's, it's very exciting to think that, that actually eliminating malaria is bringing communities together. Because in the scientific community, um, this notion, I, I was at the, the meeting when the Bill and Melinda Gates, along with, with leaders of the World Health Organization, announced that again in 2007, we would move to malaria elimination. And those of us who are experts in the, in the field thought, oh, this is never going to work. We've tried it before. It's a challenge. But it caused the scientific community to come together and say, well, maybe it can work, and how can we make it work? And I think it, it seems to me that we are now at that stage, as, as I think uh, Chris Flowers said, we're at that stage where it's a possibility. We know we can do it but we're gonna to have to stay the course. And I think it's exciting to know that we have partners and to meet our partners um, at, the, at the very front edge of eliminating malaria and bring them together with a community that spans all of the needs, in, including the, the great financial needs. So with that, I think I wanna thank the panelists and, uh, and really thank the audience for their questions. Jacob? Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, my lord. I know we're going to meet again. <laughs> Thanks for <laughs> the